And good morning, friends. My name is Greg DeMay, one of the pastors here with Jeff. And uh, you probably have detected an undercurrent of some sadness and brokenness and lament in this service. That is true. And uh, it is here purposefully, even though we are in a self-declared season of gratitude as a church for this simple spiritual reason. Uh, being ruthlessly honest about the pain and the brokenness that we experience is part and parcel of grateful living in the presence of God. It is true that there are days in this life in which we feel lousy. Am I right? Sometimes those days stretch into weeks or even seasons or even years in, we f in which we feel lousy and disoriented and disheartened. I'm not talking about, I got a little touch of the flu and I just need a nice warm cup of soup and a nap, kind of lousy. I mean the kind of lousy when you feel like you are sinking down and stuck in something deep and it is going from bad to worse to awful. The kind of lousy when your prayers no longer feel like they can rise up out of your lips and take wing to God when the Bible feels like it's just a bunch of ink on a page when it feels like the Spirit of God has left the room and who knows when he's going to come back. If you are a Christian, you will feel this way sometime if you have not already felt this way. If you are a human being, like, welcome to the human race if you have ever been uh, in deep trouble like this and stuck. When we're stuck, I mean, the question we want to answer to is, how do I make this stop? How do I get unstuck? If you are stuck right now, you're sitting in this worship service, and you're like, what am I doing with all these happy people during a season of gratitude? <laughs> Gee, I mean, Thanksgiving in two weeks, you are going to be surrounded by hungry, happy people sitting around a table. Like, what are you going to do if that's you and you're stuck with all these people? It is good for us to remember at the beginning here that gratitude is more than a feeling. It is more than a feeling that you can conjure up or try hard to attain. Gratitude is an inner posture. It is an attitude of the spirit. And often, even for lovely Christian people, it is an attitude that has to be fought for, to be maintained or regained through spiritual battle and practice. Gratitude is not just a one-off feeling, it is a process. It is a process for moving from an attitude that's just like, look at your life in trouble, and you're like, no thanks, I'll just ignore that, no thank you, to a way of living with God that says, oh no, but still, thanks, right? No thanks has no comma, oh no, but thanks, like the power of a comma, right there. We are going to be helped today by a couple of psalms that illustrates this process of the process of gratitude, the ominously numbered Psalm 13. Now, it is not the bad luck psalm or anything, but it is a painful, difficult psalm. And the similarly ominously numbered Psalm 130. But first, I want to notice with you that God intends for human beings and for you as an individual, for your human engine to run on the fuel of gratitude. Uh, Dr. Robert Emmons is a leading mental health researcher, and uh, according to his research, 
getting a load of this. If you are regularly feeling grateful as a human being, your sleep will be 10 to 20% better than when you are feeling just mediocre. That's pretty great, right? If you have sustained feelings of gratitude, the stress hormone cortisol that your brain naturally produces will go down by about 23%. For those who keep a gratitude journal, it changes the very foods that you want to eat. I'm not suggesting this as a diet plan, but for people who actively keep a gratitude journal, your desire for dietary fat goes down by 25%. Like, it, gratitude changes your actual appetite. Oh, that got people's attention. <laughs> for the healthcare professionals amongst us, doctors and nurses who kept a two-week gratitude journal, just writing down a few things every day that they were thankful for, reduced their perceived stress by 28% and feelings of depression by 16%. This sounds too good to be true, am I right? For folks who have struggled with suicidal feelings, writing a single letter of gratitude to another human being reduced feelings of hopelessness by 88% in the short term and increased levels of optimism and hopefulness by 94%. Like, there's someone watching on live stream today who is in this room who desperately needs to hear that. I am not saying this to guilt anyone who is clinically depressed or say that you're personally responsible for the hole you're in. I'm just recognizing that God has built us to run well when gratitude is flowing in our veins. It's how we are meant to run. And the reason we feel so lousy is because it's hard and so much pushes against it. Gratitude is the fuel on which your life is meant to work spiritually, mentally, physically. Gratitude is not self-help. Gratitude is the help that comes to us from being connected to the ultimate source of health, the one who is outside us, Almighty God, who is inside us as the Holy Spirit. Gratitude is the help that comes from the Lord who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not going to get there just by trying hard. You're not just going to get back there by buckling down and be like, I'm going to be grateful from this moment on. That is not how it works. It is a process, however, that God can shepherd you into. Psalm 130 begins with these words. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. If you are a human being and you've been paying attention to your feelings, you know the depths. You know what it's like to be trapped. Can you recall in your brain and your spirit that claustrophobic, stuck feeling? What can I possibly do next? How do I get out of this? Back in 1987, before the world had the internets, there was a little girl named Jessica McClure who fell into a literal pit. An eight-inch diameter, hold your hands out, measure about eight inches. I mean, it's not very big. An eight-inch diameter well in the backyard of her Aunt Jamie just outside Midland, Texas. Little Jessica remained trapped in that well, stuck and pinned 22 feet beneath the surface of the earth. While America 
watched on the newly invented CNN. Like the 24 hours news cycle, that had not been a thing. Some of you are old enough to remember when TV went off at like midnight, they would just show colored bars in the middle of the night. All the old people are like, oh, those were good, those were good days. <laughs> CNN carried this story around the clock. The first 18 months of Jessica's life had passed without the world at large taking much notice. She was born on March 26, 1986, in the oil city of Midland, Texas. Her parents, Sissy and Ship McClure, were teenagers who had fallen on pretty hard times in the depths of the oil bust of the mid-1980s. And then on the morning of October 14, 1987, Jessica McClure became baby Jessica, who from then on, at that moment in time, became the most famous child in America, and for at least a couple years, probably the most famous kid in the entire world. Those of you who are younger are just going to have to take the old people's word on this. Like, I remember this vividly, okay? Baby Jessica's Aunt Jamie ran a daycare center out of her home, and on that fateful morning, baby Jessica was playing with four other kids out in the backyard under the supervision of her mom, Sissy. The phone rang. Sissy went inside to answer the call. She was inside for maybe 60 seconds. Not even a minute later, she hears kids screaming and hollering from the backyard, rushes out there only to find that her little daughter has disappeared. I didn't know what to do, Sissy McClure later recalled. I just ran back inside and called the police immediately. They were there within three minutes, but these three minutes felt like an entire lifetime. Have you lived enough to understand that feeling? when three minutes can feel like a lifetime? I mean, can you imagine what was going through that mom's heart, your little girl, in a well? I mean, I had a little girl once. So a mom and a dad are stuck living uh, their worst fear for their little child. There are two sisters, a mom and an aunt, who are struggling, I mean, from then on, with guilt for not being more watchful. How could this happen? This horrible feeling of time stopping and what, what on earth is there possibly to be done? These grown-ups are powerless to change anything. Psalm 13 begins with that feeling, with these words. We read the yellow. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have this sorrow in my heart? How long? I mean, if, they, if that family could have had these words, this would be their prayer in that moment. This feeling, however, how long is this going to last? This feeling can be thrust upon us Pretty much at any time in this life. It can come because of old age or illness or grief, loss, death, the brutality of our own sin or propensity to make our own trouble. Man, if you've lied or cheated on somebody or betrayed a friend, it puts you instantly there. If you've been cheated on or been betrayed, it puts you instantly there. If you're a kid and got a red card in a soccer game and ejected and your team lost, you are there. If you spent too much time on Instagram comparing yourself to other people and you're just like, I stink, 
You have been there. Baby Jessica remained trapped in this well, 20 feet, 2 feet below ground, only 8 inches wide, for the next 58 hours. I mean, a day and a half, stuck, pinned. Frantic rescue crews attempted to save her life, and the entire nation, God bless America, we were watching on TV. Because she had fallen so deep into the earth beneath layers of rock, harder than granite, and because the diameter of that well that she was in was so narrow, this rescue mission was exceedingly difficult. Here was the strategy. Using something called a rat tail rig, it's like the machine that digs uh, post holes for big telephone poles, they started digging a parallel well shaft about 30 inches wide. Okay, so she's stuck 22 feet underground here. They're digging a parallel shaft here and then hoping not to collapse her little tunnel and then dig a parallel escape hatch over so some grown-up can go down that 30-inch wide thing and rescue her. Yikes. While this was going on for days, rescue workers pumped oxygen down into that well shaft and attempted to maintain constant communication with baby Jessica, who moaned and wailed and from time to time even sang little nursery rhymes. Pastor Jeff mentioned earlier on, man, if you feel stuck, like it was a gift of the rescue workers they knew to help keep her spirits up and any chance of staying alive, like just make some noise, let her know that we are still there. Like if you are stuck, that's one of the main purposes of this book in your life. God wants to let you know that he is still there for you. One detective said this, one of the rescue workers, after listening to baby Jessica for several days in a row, I could tell her moods. At one point she was singing, at another point when a jackhammer started up, she stopped her words but would continue with just this huffy little angry voice. I don't like it, no. I would say 80% of the time, detective says, she was making some kind of noise that we could hear. When we weren't calling her words of encouragement, we would ask her to make animal sounds. This is what we do with little kids, right? Baby Jessica, what does the kitty say? And from 20 feet below, she would call back up to them. Again, the detective, I will never forget her little voice singing Winnie the Pooh again and again. Like if you're stuck, this little 18-month-old is offering you tremendous wisdom. There were two guys in the Bible once who were stuck in prison, chained to a wall. Their names were Saul, Paul, and Silas. And when they were stuck in their own pit, the way they passed the time was by singing praises to God. The songs did not instantly make the problem go away, but they do help you pass the time. They do help stop you from going insane, and they do open the door so that God can lift up your spirit through that music and praises. If you are stuck, 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 one of the best things you can do, even if you can't, open your own mouth and join the songs in a room like this is keep showing up so that you can hear the God songs and it can maybe lift your spirit and remind you that there is somebody out there who really cares.
waiting. Oh, waiting is the hardest part. Waiting for God to show up when you're pinned down. Waiting for prayers to get answered. Waiting as maybe you keep on singing and nothing changes. Waiting, knowing that just trying harder is not going to cut it. Psalm 130 says this, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits for the Lord. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning, more than a rescue worker waits for the tunnel to get all the way down there, more than a watchman waits for the morning. In 2018, there was a movie called First Reformed. There's not many Hollywood movies about Reformed churches, as it turns out. There was one in 2018 about a little Reformed church in New York, and there is a pastor in that movie. Uh, he experiences a few pits of his own. His name is appropriately Reverend Toller. Things keep taking their toll on him. He has a few gems in this movie. This reverend, he says this at one point, wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in your mind simultaneously, hope and despair. Holding these two ideas in our heads or in our souls is life itself. Like, there's something here for us, friends. The contradiction of everyday life lies beneath the process of gratitude. We see all the things standing in our way, pulling us down, the hurdles we can't get over. We have this vision for life as it could be or should be or is meant to be. And we feel all these things that are in the way. And that causes appropriate grief, frustration, even despair. But even as we feel this, there is something that wells up, if we're honest, deep inside of us that lets us know that is not all there is. And that is hope. And if you are living an honest life, these two things can coexist, but they are not equals. It is not just an equal battle between light and darkness. Hope is stronger. This is the process of gratitude, being real about despair, about what is going on in your life and times, and clinging to hope. Jesus promises you this. God's word, Hebrews 13. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What those rescue workers did for baby Jessica, God promises to do for you. Even if you're not feeling it, God promises to do this for you, to not leave you or forsake you in your despair. Jesus' way, Jesus' path, is the path of hope. And for our deepest, darkest pits, it is the only real way forward. Both Psalm 13 and Psalm 130, at the very end of those psalms, it turns the corner into hope. Psalm 13 concludes with these words. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And then something happens. What happens in the gap here? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he, past tense, has been good to me. 
What happened in that gap? I don't know. We don't know. But God came through somehow. Whoever wrote this poem, God did not leave them. God did not forsake them. But the gap is left intentionally empty, I think, so that we can fill in the details of however it is that God is going to save us and rescue us or pull us up out of the pit. God does something. And then the psalmist says, I'm going to sing to you, God. It's this promise. No matter what happened to me, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to keep praising you for you are good, God. What happened? I don't know, but joy came. How did God rescue this particular person? I don't know, but they ended up promising that they were going to sing their guts out to God. Finally, on the evening of October 16, 1987, 58 hours after her fall, baby Jessica was lifted safely out of the well. There's a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph of her rescue snapped by a guy named Scott Shaw, which shows baby Jessica cradled in the arms of a paramedic. Her head is wrapped up in white gauze. Her little arms are caked with dirt and rock dust. Her bleary eyes are just barely open. One of the reasons I bring this all up, because in telling this story, I intend it for you today as a parable. You, my friend, are baby Jessica. God is the rescue team. Over the next few years, baby Jessica needed 15 surgeries to bring her back to health, to treat all the complications from her three days trapped without food and water inside that well, she ultimately did regain full health and strength. A missing small toe on her right foot and a large diagonal scar across her forehead and upper uh, nose are the only remaining permanent physical signs of this entire ordeal. In reading about this story again and again this week, Many commentators point to uh, the real significant thing about this story was that CNN's coverage marked a turning point in the history of news media and communication in the world, the genesis of the 24-hour news cycle preparing us to be fully plugged in once the internet would exist. God bless us, one and all. <laughs> we, may be, we may need to be rescued in different ways, right? It's always a mixed bag. That, to me, does not seem the most significant thing about this story. The fact that a little girl literally was rescued, that people went above and beyond to let her know that they were there for her, that they problem-solved and actually pulled off a practical rescue mission, like, that speaks to deeper truths about who we are and the underlying fabric of the universe. Once she grew older, Jessica didn't remember anything about her three days in that well shaft. And her parents did not tell her for a while. One day, when she was six years old, Jessica McClure was watching an episode of Rescue 911. This is in the early 1990s, again, for those who are old enough to remember. And this episode of Rescue 911 was recounting the 
harrowing story of a baby girl's rescue from a well three or four years earlier. And little Jessica, moved to tears by this story, asked her parents what the name of this tragic little girl was. And her parents were like, okay. (laughs) And let her know that the girl in the story was, honey, in fact, you. Again, if you can, this story is not just about a little girl in Texas. This story is about you and the hand of God coming deep, deep, deep down to find you in Jesus Christ. Ever since those three days in 1987, Jessica has lived an extraordinarily ordinary life. She graduated from Greenwood High School just outside Midland in 2004. In 2006, she married a guy named Daniel Morales. They have two kids, Simon and Cheyenne. Jessica stays at home to care for them. On her 25th birthday, Jessica had access to a significant trust fund that was given by well-intentioned donations from people all over the world. She has not spent one cent of that money and claims she is saving it all for her children's college education and whatever happens to them in the future. When asked if her history causes her any ongoing trauma, Jessica Morales now says this, it couldn't cage me then, why should it cage me now? Please, like that is a holy, godly, adult, womanly thing to say. I mean, can you imagine someday being so healed from whatever trouble plagued you or is currently besetting you that you would say out loud to whoever could hear, man, that was deep trouble. It couldn't cage me then. It's not going to cage me now either. Like that is the power of rescue and gratitude and salvation. This is the process of gratitude at work, friends. And this is what... This is why we need to practice for a month every year. This is not some quick, easy thing. This is a hard-won spiritual battle. Out in the lobby today, um, there are some evergreen trees in the center. We call these gratitude trees. There's a few different kinds of ornaments on these trees. They kind of look like Christmas trees, but it's too early to call them Christmas trees. There are some blank ones that uh, look like pine cones. These are meant um, for any person in this congregation to fill out and then hang it back on the tree. If you are stuck in a deep, dark place, you could write, How long, O Lord? and proudly and boldly put those words back on the tree as an act of prayer. If you want to write, I'm stuck in the midst of... Like, write it on one of these things and put it on the tree. If you want to say a word of thanksgiving about anything... I was blind, but now I see. I was stuck in the midst of whatever. Like, put that on one of these things. If you want to give thanks for someone who loves you, like, write their name on this and hang it on the tree. Just, it's an act of prayer, right? Of saying thanks or asking for help. There are also a whole series of printed ornaments on those trees. Because if you believe in a God who performs rescues, man, our hearts start overflowing and we want to see more good things spill out into the world. So on these trees, there are ways uh, to assess or remember the needs of others and make a financial gift that will make a little dent 
in shining some light into the world. There are some ornaments that look like uh, winter boots. Those ones uh, you can take to a table, make a little offering, and they will go to buy a kid in the Lawndale neighborhood some winter boots to make it through the cold season. There are some ornaments that go to help the men of Angola State Penitentiary to give them gifts, to give them socks for Christmas. Um, there are some gift cards that go to single moms in our own community who struggle to, are struggling to make ends meet. There are some that go to support an agency called World Renew that's part of our denomination. You can buy animals for families in impoverished parts of the world so they can get a step forward to actually start providing for the needs of their own family. This is all not about trying harder, but to saying to the God who rescues us, thank you, thank you, thank you. By the way, if there's a little kid in your life, it's way more fun to do this with a kid or with a family member, just to share the love and share the gratitude. Here's what I know. People like us get stuck and pinned down all the time. But because God is who he is, because Jesus is who he is, God is going to help you. He's going to help you up, or he is going to help you out, or he is going to help you through. One of those things is going to happen in this life and for all eternity. Will you pray with me? Oh God, will you teach us more deeply about the process of gratitude? Please, please, please find us in our darkness and despair and lift us up raise us up, resurrect us, do whatever it takes, both now and forevermore. We are leaning on you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.